Welcome to Good Girls Talk About Sex. I am sex and intimacy coach Leah Carey, and this is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. Hey, friends. Before we jump into today's interview, I want to share an intense experience I had recently. In mid-July, my partner and I went to Las Vegas for a long weekend. We hadn't had any time away together since the pandemic started, and we were really looking forward to a few days where we could leave our computers behind, turn our phones off, and just focus on each other. Midway through our mini vacation, I got caught in a mass shooting panic. I was stepping off the elevator into the hotel lobby when a solid wall of people came running and screaming directly toward me. They had heard what they thought were gunshots and immediately started stampeding. It turned out there was no shooter. The police say it was a broken window, though based on the way the panic spread throughout the Las Vegas Strip, there was some whispering about whether maybe it was a prank by people in various casinos shooting off a small firework or other noisemaker. It was two of the scariest minutes of my life, and I'm still dealing with the after effects of such an intense life or death fear. When we got home, I wrote the experience up for NBC News, and they published it under the title, What I Saw in Vegas During an Active Shooter Scare Will Stay With Me Forever. I didn't get to choose the title, but damn, they hit it right on the head. Through social media, comments sections, and direct emails, there have been thousands of comments. A tiny percentage of them have been from people thanking me for telling my story, and even a few from people who were also there that night. But well over 95% of the comments have been absolutely vile. I've been called an idiot, a drama queen, and a terrible writer. A lot of people have responded with, guns don't kill people, people kill people. But the comments that catch my attention the most are the ones calling me out directly and calling me a liar. Before comments were closed and somehow disappeared on the MSN version of the article, someone under the name Tobin Menard wrote, This is a fake article. It's a made-up opinion on what this person thinks they would experience if they were in this situation. What trash. Brian F. wrote, 1,000 points for things that never happened. And someone under the name Second Amendment Absolutist wrote, 
I wonder if Leah Carey knew how many people would be laughing at her misplaced anguish. I'm telling you this as a reminder that no matter what you say, there are going to be people who are predisposed to not believe you and to ridicule you. This is especially true for people who present as women, but it's true for people of all genders. It doesn't matter how much evidence you present or how many corroborating witnesses there are. Your experience will always be deemed irrelevant or made up by someone who has a loud voice. So does that mean we just shouldn't say things? No. I have no idea how many people read that article, but I'm confident that the people who are making all this noise are in the minority. And the messages I've received from people thanking me for my words are far more powerful and important to me than any of the people calling me liars. I know what the truth is of my experience. So do you. It's okay to say it out loud. And it's okay to not engage with the trolls who will inevitably show up to say you're wrong, you're stupid, and you're lying. You know the truth. You are allowed to stand in that truth no matter what anybody else thinks. So I'm imagining this run-in with the trolls as kind of a trial by fire. Because when my memoir comes out, I know there's going to be a hell of a lot worse. They're going to judge my body, my choices, my actions, my sinning nature, etc. And I'm going to have to stand in the center of my truth and keep saying what I know to be true. Every single one of us is lovable and desirable. Okay, that's all on that subject for now. I may have more to say about it in the future. In the meantime, there's a link to that article in the episode description on the app you're listening on now. So let's get to the episode. Mia is a 23-year-old cisgender female. She describes herself as white, monogamous, not straight, and engaged at the time of recording. Since then, she has married. She grew up in a Catholic home and describes her body as athletic curvy. I'm so pleased to introduce Mia. Mia, I'm so excited to talk with you. Everybody knows by now, my favorite guests are listeners who let me know they want, <laughs> they want to do an interview. So thank you for getting in touch. I'm thrilled to talk with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, yes, longtime listener, and I'm excited. <laughs> awesome. Well, so let me ask you, what is it about the podcast that appeals to you? Oh, my gosh. It just everyone I listened to felt like I could relate to them. And there was like so many things where I was like, oh my gosh, I was never allowed to talk about those things. And here people are having public conversations around these things. And it was just amazing. And I, I was hooked. I think it took me like half into another episode. I was like, yep, this is a podcast I love. <laughs> oh, well, I'm so glad that you're here. <laughs> so, you know, we start every conversation the same way. What is your first memory of sexual pleasure? Okay, so obviously I knew this question was going to be asked, um, but I was like thinking about it and I know there's like a, a real thing where memories from childhood get blocked out as like kind of like a trauma response or like mm -hmm. trying to like not think about something and nothing ever happened to me 
in that way. But I just think a lot of my childhood was, I just felt guilty around a lot of things. I grew up Catholic and I think the earliest thing I can remember is maybe being in like second grade, like so I'm eight or nine at this point and like realizing that when I rubbed things in between my legs, it felt good. But then instantly it was like the Catholic guilt popped in. I was like, whoa, you can't do that. And so yeah, when I was like really young, it was like these things that were like, whoa, what is that? But then I couldn't talk to anybody about them. And I knew they were wrong on some level, early age. That's really yeah. all I can remember. Yeah. So you mentioned um, growing up Catholic. So at what point were you, did you start hearing this message that I guess I don't want to make assumptions about what that message was for you. Uh, was it that pleasure is bad? Was it that masturbation is bad? What was the particular conversation you were getting? Um, so in my household, it was just a lot of like right and wrong. And like these things are right and they get you to heaven and these things are wrong and they get you to hell. Seriously, up until I was in the seventh grade, I thought that a man and a woman got married and then just decided they wanted to have a child. Like I didn't know what the in-between process was. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I just knew that probably anything that felt good was either selfish or wrong. And so I don't Mm -hmm. know if it was like, I understood it was pleasure. I think that I understood that something that felt that good shouldn't really be happening. Wow, that's a pretty big thing for a little kid to be dealing with that something that feels that good, I shouldn't do. Did that sort of go across all things? Like what about things that tasted good or, you know, things that you enjoyed watching or reading or listening to? Um, well, no, I don't. I don't really think so. It was more like a, I couldn't celebrate my wins fully or mm-hmm. um, like if I got a good grade, it was just that's what was expected and you don't really celebrate that. Or like if I did something good, you were supposed to be like, oh, it was no big deal. Um, yeah. So more things along those lines. Mm-hmm. And were those the same messages you were hearing at church? <sighs> Quite frankly, I think I blocked a lot of church mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. But it was more like how my parents responded to things. Like if they did something really great at work or they had a win in their personal life and people would be like, oh my gosh, that's so awesome. They'd be like, ah, it's whatever, you know, and they would just like brush it off and dismiss it. And we weren't allowed to really pay any mind to it. Yeah, that's a lot. That That's a hard way to grow up. Yeah, I tell people that it made me the hard worker that I am today, but I still have a really hard time untangling, boosting my own self up. Like part of me is very independent and only relies on what I tell myself, but the other part of me is very in need of external validation. And so it's just a constant struggle. Yeah, I'm going to go totally off of the timeline here. Uh, I know that you're in a committed relationship. And as we record, you're about to get married. Does that show up in your relationship? Yeah, it's definitely something that we have to work through. And um, obviously, my partner thinks I'm amazing. And I think that she's amazing. But (laughs) a lot of times, it's like, I don't really believe her. Not that I don't believe her. It's like, oh, well, she tells me like, oh, that's so amazing that you did that. And I'm like, well, it's it's whatever. That's what I'm supposed to do. And she's like, no, I just want to give you praise. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to accept it. But do you actually crave it? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
you are speaking my language. I know this exact feeling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, one of the curses of growing up with high expectations, uh, regardless of how they come about, um, but also not really having the kind of validation you need. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you said was, you think around seven that you started rubbing up on things. How did you discover that? Do you remember? I had bunk beds. And like, everyone knows that like, you always try to find the fastest way to get out of bunk beds. <laughs> and <laughs> like everyone with bunk beds. And so like, I remember one time flipping my leg over the top bunk bed and like getting caught like on the wooden part and being like, that's a feeling I've never felt before. <laughs> so you spent a lot of time getting in and out of bed after that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then at some point, I imagine you realized that you could do that with something other than the wooden slats. Yes. What was, I was just thinking about this, like, Oh my gosh, I'm judging myself. I know no one else is judging me. But yeah. like the toilet paper roll, like, I don't mm -hmm. know, it was just like something firm. And it was on my level at that age, you know, like the height. And that's, that was the next thing. And then it was like, when I was older and had a phone, it was like the phone vibration. In oh, yeah. My legs. Yeah. So you had a cell phone or a cell phone or something that vibrates. Yes. Yeah. As opposed to us old people who grew up with, uh, <laughs> with house phones, <laughs> they did yes. not vibrate. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Were you coming to something that you would recognize now as an orgasm? No. How far was it going, do you think? Um, just like, I don't know. It never really got far because again, like the, the Catholic guilt wouldn't let me get too yeah. far without being like, I should probably stop this before I lose my ticket to heaven. Oh, so that was like seriously ingrained. It wasn't just this is not good. It was this will send me to hell. Yes. Wow. What did you think hell was? Do you remember? The stereotypical like eternal flames, pool of fire. I don't know. Anything you yeah. can like stereotypical think of, that's that's what I thought. So if you spend a couple of minutes with your hands between your legs, you are doomed to burn eternally. Yeah, I thought like once you made one bad decision, like that was it for you. Wow. That's a big load for a little kid. Yeah, I Needless to say, I'm not in that religion anymore for a, a big reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So at what point did you begin questioning whether that religion was a good fit for you? It actually wasn't until I moved out of my parents' house and went to college. And it was my freshman year in college. And I like did all of like the, the big holidays. So like Lent, Easter, Christmas, all of those things. And I did have a friend who was also Catholic, who I was like pretty close with. And so we would go to mass and then it was like, well, what if we don't go this su Sunday? Well, what if we don't go next <laughs> Sunday? And then it slowly uh -huh. started dwindling. But I actually don't go to mass anymore unless it's for funerals, um, mm -hmm. which is still very important to me. And a lot of my family is Catholic. And so I'm not ready to let go completely. But 
yeah, it's in the last year, I kind of set that boundary that was like, this is not for me. I'm not going mm -hmm. anymore. So it sounds like it was sort of a drifting away as opposed to a, this is not something that works for me. Um, yeah, yeah. I want to be able to have sex <laughs> like that <laughs> because there are some people who I've talked to who have had that very clear, like these teachings about sex don't work for me. And that forms a major part of the religion. So I'm out. It doesn't sound like that's what happened for you. No, I was, I, I want to say actively. I mean, I was like college kid going to mass, like, you know, once a month or whenever my family <laughs> came up while also having sex. But I just like felt the guilt. But I don't yeah. know. I was able to deal with the guilt more out of my parents' home than like doing something that I knew was wrong and going home to see my parents. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's back up onto the timeline because I'm taking us all over the place here. <laughs> um, at what point did you discover that this sort of like thing that you did between your legs could actually result in an explosion of energy, an orgasm, or did you have one at all? Um, I wasn't until really late, like, uh, okay, I guess some late is, you know, comparable to people, yeah. but I think it was like freshman year of high school. It was so funny because there's someone who their whole episode, the title of it was like, I got turned on by the sex scenes in movies or yeah. something like that. And I, when I listened to that episode, I was like, I feel heard. So I hope whoever <laughs> like recorded that episode is listening to this now and knowing that that helped me. <laughs> but, um, but there was like a particular movie that I'm not going to say, cause I think would be too identifying <laughs> that that scene was like, I was like, I want that. Like, I, I want to know what that is. I want to know more about that. Um, and I think that kind of, like, fueled my interest. And then it was, like, little things. And then, like, people would be interested in you. And then by the time you're in high school, some of your friends start having sex and things like that. So it was probably freshman year of high school that I really, like, put two and two together that, like, this is something I could achieve. Yeah. I'm super interested to know what the movie is, but I won't push you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what were the things that you saw in that movie that were so intriguing to you? I feel like I just have to say it. You know, okay. it's okay. It's the movie Love and Basketball, and it was the scene between. Oh the yeah, that's a great movie. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, I played basketball all through high school, and okay. I thought that was going to be me. Like that was my dream, like to mm. go play college basketball, find a college basketball man, and like we would just be living out <laughs> our dreams. Um, and it was like the scene where they first have sex. It's like after prom, they both went to prom with different people and like end up in each other's windows. And it's just so passionate and intense. <laughs> and it felt like the perfect first time. And I was like, I want that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and interestingly, it was with a boy. Yes. <laughs> All right. We'll come back to that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so at what point did you have your first interaction with another person? that was romantic or sexual? I had my first kiss in seventh grade and it was awful. Mm. It was weird. And I, I don't know, looking back, I was not interested in him. And I, I remember reaching out to you and telling you this, that was actually the first and last white person I've ever kissed. And it was with <laughs> a boy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. 
and, and like being a white female, that's, that's kind of why it's ironic if, you know, yeah. people might not understand that when they're listening. Um, but then fast forward to freshman year, there was this boy who I kind of had like a flirtationship with all through high school. And that was the first time where I was like, I think I kind of want something more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were always just, you know, I always say like different paths, but like that seems uh-huh. so weird for high school, but <laughs> um So you didn't kiss, you didn't get together, nothing. You just no. enjoyed the presence of the other person. Yes. Um and then sophomore year I had my first kind of like serious, if you could call like a fourteen, fifteen year old relationship serious. Yeah. Um and that was the first person who hands went down pants kissing got passionate like uh I remember the first time I like climbed on top of him to kiss him and I thought I was like a rebel um (laughs) so yeah that was that the first time it took another step so if as a child you thought that rubbing up on something was going to send you to hell what did you think when you climbed on top of a boyfriend I don't like Part of me was like, I know this is wrong. I know this is bad. But then there was like a part of me that was screaming so much louder that was like, but you want this and you should try this. Uh-huh. <laughs> that voice was too loud to ignore. So I was like, I'll deal with the repercussions later. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, meaning my parents or hell. I can't really, I don't really know. Because sometimes my parents and hell seemed interchangeable. It was like, do I want to disappoint mm-hmm. Jesus or do I want to disappoint my parents? Yeah. Yeah, that's, I I get that. Did you have some sort of, I I don't think that Catholicism necessarily does the true love waits thing, but did you have something like that where you were waiting for marriage? Oh, I, I, no, I definitely got that message. Like, like I was convinced up until the day that I had sex that I was going to wait until marriage and that it would be this like perfect thing and it would be so special. And I, I laugh at that person now because that turns out to be the complete opposite of how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> so you said the first time you had sex, when was that? I had just graduated high school and it was 4th of July, actually. What a, what a strange day. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was 18 just graduated high school and it was actually the boy that I had a flirtationship with all through high school. Oh my goodness. So it did come to fruition. It finally did senior year. I got enough courage to be like, Hey, we've been doing this dance for four years. Like, what is this? And he actually was like, actually I'm dating somebody. And I was like, okay, cool, whatever. And then the last month of our high school years together, he just like kissed me after a track meet, just randomly just kissed me in my car and it was like magic (laughs) (laughs) and we both felt it which was funny and everyone was like we knew it and I was like okay whatever (laughs) (laughs) so how long did the two of you date before you had sex uh like officially it was probably like less than a month Mm -hmm. maybe date is the wrong word how long were the two of you in some way involved <laughs> like th- like three months yeah it uh-huh. was like that happened in may we graduated in june had sex in july mm-hmm. 
And so you said you didn't know you were going to have sex until the day that you did it. What changed for you on that day? (laughs) We were like sneaking around before school, like, you know, basically doing everything except actually like penetration sex. And he almost, I honestly just feel so lucky to have had the first partner that I did because I would would lead him. I'd be like, we're not having sex. I'm waiting till marriage. This can't happen. And then I'd be like taking clothes off and we'd be doing things. I was giving him like the definition of mixed signals. And he just was like so patient with me and was like, you know, whatever you're ready for. And when I finally was like, like actually let's do this because I think it was just one of those things where I was like, I'm not going to be under my parents' roof anymore. I want this. I really like you. Like, let's just do it. He was like, no, we can't. You said no. And I was like, I'm saying mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> so, How did that feel to have him turn, not turn you down exactly, but sort of try to maintain your boundaries? Like on one hand, I was like, wow, you're super awesome. But on the other hand, I was like, just listen to me. This is what you want. Also, like, <laughs> stop. <laughs> yeah, I, I, have had a few experiences where I set up a boundary. And then I was like, Oh, no, I'm having so much fun. Let's just blow past that and have had uh, specifically male partners be like, Oh, no, this was your boundary. And we are sticking to it. And there's something honestly, that is so attractive, so hot about that. Because as females, we very rarely get the opportunity to push our boundaries because other people are pushing them for us so often. Yeah, I would agree. It, it was definitely very attractive. And he was one of my best friends. And it just felt like he cared about me and that he wanted to make sure it was something we both wanted. And he had made it very known what he wanted and he was waiting. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, and so after, was that first time having sex a good experience? Yeah, it was like, it was in a car, and that's not how I imagined it, obviously, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> being Catholic and thought I was waiting till marriage. Um, <laughs> but he was just, like, so gentle and whatever you want, and you let me know what you need, and you tell me no at any time kind of thing. And I remember after it happened, he was like, you should drive my car home. He was very like weird about his car. Like no one can drive it. No one could touch it. And he was like, you should drive my car home. And I was like, are you serious? And he was like, we just have sex. I feel like you can drive my car home. (laughs) (laughs) That's adorable. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And how did the two of you, was there more sex to be had between the two of you? Did you continue dating? Yeah, literally up until we he went to another school and I stayed in the state that we were in for college, you mean? Yes. Mm-hmm. And um basically any chance that we got um I actually found out years after we had broken up and everything that <laughs> his neighbors, he like he lived in an apartment with his family. His neighbors complained about how loud we were sometimes <laughs> and like to his to his father, which is kind of embarrassing to think about now, but oh, no. <laughs> we just were like having the time of our lives before life got serious in college. Yeah. So up to this point, you have engaged, it sounds like, entirely with males. Is that correct? Yes. 
And did you through this period have any inkling that you might not be completely straight? If I look back on it now, with like, what I know now, I would Mm -hmm. say, yeah, there were times. But at that time, my parents would always say that they like, talk to us about different kinds of relationships. But I in my family, it was like, people who were not straight were kind of like the brunt of jokes. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really know it was an option to date anybody other than men. Yeah. So I always just like wanted to be best friends with girls. And I, there was like some girls that I think about now that I'm like, were we friends or did I have a crush on you? And like, there were celebrities that I just was in love with, but it was because they were beautiful and I thought I wanted to look like them. And that's just Mm -hmm. not the case knowing what I know now. Um, So I really had no idea. It was actually my freshman year in college. I was home. No, sorry. It was my freshman year in college. We were at a party and I got drunk and I kissed a girl. Didn't think anything of it. We were drunk. I moved on. I come home back to like my hometown, was at a party and I kissed a girl who looking back on it now I had feelings for, but I didn't know that. And she was like, hey, like, what was that? And I was like, Oh, I only kiss girls when I'm drunk. It was nothing. <laughs> well, that's an awesome line. I only kiss girls when I'm drunk. I've heard I, that <laughs> more than once. <laughs> I truly believed it. Yeah. That was the craziest thing about it. Fast forward six years. That's the girl I'm about to marry. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Yes. So oh. I know it's like, it's funny. It's but it's not funny at the same time. Like, I don't know. I, I almost ruined it by being like, no, I'm so straight. <laughs> um, we spent the rest of that time, like, ignoring each other because I was just drunk and, quotation, drunk and made a mistake. Um, and she was actually in a relationship, which is, the, which is the worst part about it. That's why I don't like to tell the story. Mm-hmm. Um, they ended up breaking up. I ended up going back to college making out with another girl over spring break. I didn't remember it though. And I woke up the next day and a guy was like, you're the girl who made out with my girlfriend. And I was like, Oh, okay. Maybe I should reevaluate this. Mm -hmm. Um, But instead of reevaluating it, I just slept with every boy that I could, you know, to make sure that I was straight. So, yeah. Yeah. So freshman year of college was like good and bad for me at the same time. I want to invite you to imagine for a moment what your ideal sex life looks like and feels like. Who are you with? What type of sex do you have together? How do you feel while touching them? And how does your body feel when they touch you? Or maybe you'd like to be having less sex than you're currently having. If you don't know, Or if that vision of your ideal doesn't look at all like what's currently going on in your bedroom, I can help. With personalized sex and intimacy coaching, we'll explore where you are, how you got here, where you want to be, and the steps to help you get there. There are no right or wrong answers, just the answers that work for you. I understand that exploring your sexuality and all that goes with it 
your body image, your belief in your lovability, and more can be terrifying. Believe me, I sat in the middle of that fire for decades. I know how painful it is. But I also stepped out the other side, stronger, more confident, and more certain of my lovability and desirability, and I want the same for you. I work with couples and one-on-one, whether you've never explored your sexual desires before, or you want to explore things you've never done before, like maybe BDSM or non-monogamy, or if you and your partner need some help figuring out how to communicate together so you can have better sex. I'm queer, kinky, and poly-friendly, and I want you to have a deeply fulfilling, intimate life. Together, we can help you get there. For more information and to schedule your free discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. A new client recently said that before her discovery call, she was extremely nervous, but that I made the experience feel easy and comfortable. So book your free discovery call today at leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. The woman who you did not yet know was going to become your wife, was she a lesbian? How did she identify? Yes, she did at that time and does identify as a lesbian. But she also had a similar upbringing as me as like, she didn't know it was an option. And then got to college and was like, whoa, there's so many options out there. And I don't (laughs) think I'm straight. Yeah. So this drive to prove yourself straight, which is not at all unusual. Where do you think that came from? Who do you think you were trying to prove that to? I think I was trying to prove to myself. Um, and like, I was like, I'm in college. I can do whatever I want. And men were a lot easier to sleep with than women. Yeah. Yeah. In college. (laughs) (laughs) So. Yeah, it was like kind of like a part of it was like ease of Mm -hmm. connection. But also, I think I was like trying to prove it to myself that I like men. I do. And I I do like men. That's why it's hard for me to pick how I identify because I don't know if I like both. I don't know if I just really love this girl, but Mm -hmm. I might like be more attracted to men. And that's kind of like I don't really hear a lot of people talk about that like I know a lot of people talk about I'm straight or I'm bi or I'm this, but I I don't ever hear a lot of people talk about like, I don't really know what I am. And because I am in yeah. a very committed relationship, we're about to get married. I'm so excited. I can't imagine spending my life with anybody else. I'm never going to have that space to find out, was it just this woman? Was it, am I just very attracted to her personality or am I attracted to all females and all males in general and so and my my wife to be is very she knows that and that's really awesome and um she doesn't need me to be like no I'm a lesbian and we're together forever but it it is something I think about in the back of my mind (laughs) yeah I I just heard you say that it's something you're never going to have an opportunity to find out because you're about to get married and that's not necessarily true you have all the time in the world to find that out as long as you're in a committed monogamous marriage that you want to respect the monogamy of, you're not going to act on it. Mm-hmm. 
But that doesn't mean you can't explore what your attractions are. Yeah. It, it's also weird because the the females like in like the media, I find myself like being attracted to, like, for example, Zendaya. Mm-hmm. I think she is beautiful and I love yeah, her. she is. <laughs> <laughs> but like my fiance is, looks nothing like her. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, that happens all the time. People are like, this is my type and this is the person I ended up mm-hmm. with. But I don't know. It's just, it's like a, a mystery that I, like, I don't, I, you're right. I don't have any interest in acting on anything, but I don't know. I, I kind of just, I, I'm in love with all women. I think women are amazing and beautiful and powerful. And I think that is definitely part of my attraction to women. Yeah. I also think, and I will speak for myself here. One of the things that was so confusing for me is that we are all sexualized to the female form. Women's bodies are used to sell us everything from makeup to, you know, cars to whatever. And so growing up as a little girl, it can be very confusing when we do have an attraction to other women to be like, oh, doesn't everybody think that? Because they're everywhere. Like this is what we're supposed to enjoy. So everybody must feel this way. And then to come to find out, oh, no, some people appreciate the attractiveness, but don't have a desire that goes with that attraction, that can be really confusing. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I relate to that because I didn't realize that everyone just doesn't appreciate how beautiful and strong and powerful women are like in the same yeah. way I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And none of that takes away from how beautiful and strong and attractive men are too. And trans women and trans men and non-binary, like none of these things take away from anybody else. And you may or may not be attracted to any particular person regardless of their gender. That Yeah, that's that's why I identify as not straight at the moment because I, yeah. I, I really don't know. Like I cannot have a relationship without connection. Mm-hmm. I can have sex without connection, you know, like a emotional connection. But yeah, definitely not a relationship. Like if I if I can't have a conversation with you about life or you can't aid me and where I'm going in life, like that's not attractive to me at all, regardless if you are like to the T of like kind of what my stereotypical type is. Mm-hmm. So what's your stereotypical type? Like tall, athletic, darker people of color. Like it tends to be like black males or black females with hair. <laughs> when you say with hair can you clarify exactly what that means (laughs) yes i realize i should have been more specific like on men i like like froze okay fades and like on females i like like dreads or Mm -hmm. like hair you can grab like i don't like short hairs like you know i just i really like when people have longer hair on their head (laughs) yeah So we're not talking about bears who are covered with hair on their chest. No, no. Okay. <laughs> um, so you mentioned that you can have sex without connection. And you've also mentioned that you slept with a lot of people trying to convince yourself that you were straight. So what were those experiences like for you when you were in college? Um, Basically, anybody I found attractive on any level, I was like, hey, do you want to come back to my dorm room? I, like I remember there was this kid who lived 
the floor under me and I was like, we should hang out, but I, I don't want to have sex. And he was like, okay. And he like respected that boundary, which is fine. But he was so boring to talk to <laughs> that I ended up sleeping with him instead. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I, I looked back on that one. And I was like, oh, I should have just told him to leave. But so yeah, like things like that, like you're interested. I'm interested. Let's go. Okay, leave mm-hmm. my dorm room and go back to where you live now. <laughs> so were most of them one night engagements? Um, yeah, like three nights max kind of thing. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and were you clear with people about that's what you were doing? Or were there people who came in thinking, oh, maybe I'm going to be her next partner? Yeah, I was not very clear. And that was not fair of me. But I, I just, I assumed that's what men wanted. Like, you mm-hmm. want something without the potential of a relationship. And so one guy was like, hey, you haven't called me back. And I was like, yeah, I didn't think I had to. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a hard, um, a hard assumption that a, a lot of us make, that men just want no strings attached. They just want easy sex and then see you later. And that some men do. But a lot of men don't. And I think they get caught up in that, in that assumption. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, people tell me I have a very, because I genuinely am interested in connection and talking to people, I have a way of making people feel like I'm more interested than I am when I'm just like asking genuine questions. Like, where did you grow up? Did you enjoy it? where do you see yourself in five years? Like, where's a place you'd like to travel? Like questions that are just like basic for me. People take as, oh, she's interested in me. And I'm like, so I feel like it's a occupational hazard because it's my job to literally care about people so deeply. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that is, you know, again, that's such a it's hard to have some of these conversations without dropping into stereotypes. But Yeah, it can be hard sometimes to be female and just have a conversation that you think is like basic human interest in another person, and then have men who are so starved for real connection and affection, think, oh, she wants me. Mm -hmm. And then it gets really messy really quickly. Well, okay, so yes, I had that one experience with a guy, but the two experiences that I had were actually with females where I Mm. was blindsided that they were interested in me and we are no longer friends because of it or like our friendship started to decline and we no longer talk anymore like it was they're kind of two separate situations but we all ran in the same circle it was one girl who had came into college with and we lived on the same floor and we did everything together and it was so fun and she knew about all the men that had come in through my dorm room and that kind of thing and she knew about what happens between my current partner and I and then we get to our junior year in college and she's like why weren't you just with me and I was like mm. whoa I did not see that one coming. And then Mm -hmm. then things were just like weird after that. And then the second one was I played a club sport in college and a new person came and I was like, Hey, I want to show you around. Like you just transferred here. And like just things that I thought like every person does for another new person in a college campus. And 
she like one time was like, Hey, we should go practice and like sent me a winky face. And I was like, Oh, I did not see that one coming. And then like, I asked around everybody on the team and they were like, how did you not know she was interested? And I was like, I don't know. And so, yeah, it was, it was hard. Yeah. So you were through this whole time sleeping with men, right? Yes. To convince yourself that you were straight. <laughs> Up until my sophomore year of college. Mm-hmm. And then my my current partner and I, we we <laughs> did the thing where we were like, we're going to have a summer fling. And it ended up never ending. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the two of you have been together for what, five-ish years? Yes. Okay. And let's talk about it. Um, did you still sleep with other people while you were at college? Or has it been monogamous from the beginning? Um, after we made out and then ignored each other. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what happened. Uh, that summer that we came home, she had broken up with her girlfriend. I was single. Yeah, I was single, but I was still sleeping with that other guy from mm-hmm. high school. And she was like, well, why don't we just like have a thing? It didn't really start that way, but we just spent every day together. And I was like, why don't we just try it out? And the first night that we ever got together, it was funny because I actually like was like, I can't sleep with you. We were also drunk. We were drinking that night. And I was like, I want to make sure that I like you, not just when I'm drunk. Wow. Good job. <laughs> and I held that boundary, which is so weird to think about. <laughs> so I held that boundary. And then the next day we ended up sleeping together and have not looked back since then. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, it's been monogamous since then. Yes. Mm-hmm. And was it good from the beginning or does it take in work to get there? So sex wise, it's been good from the beginning. Um, it was, it was actually so sweet. I just, I feel so lucky to have had the first experiences that I did with a man and then with a woman. Um, mm-hmm. we were like in her room and we were like messing around and she goes, do you want me to help you? And I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and she was just like, okay, just do what I do. And it just like, it was, I know some people would probably be like mortified by that, but it was honestly like so sweet for me. I was just like, this is awesome. And I'm, I'm a very big communicator. So like nothing is really off limits for me. But then the first time we were going to take it to the next level and I was like gearing up my confidence to like go down on her. And I was like, I can do this. And I like worked my way like down there. And then I was like, nope. And I came right back up and I was like, I can't do this <laughs> because like it terrified me. I was like, what if I'm bad? What if I can't do this? I really like her, all of these things. And then like five minutes later, just out of the blue, I was like, nope, I'm going for it. And she likes to, you know, be nice and be like, it was fine from the beginning at first. And then now that we're like getting married and everything, she's like, yeah, you really improved. <laughs> so sex-wise, there was just always like an instant connection. Emotional, like relationship-wise, we have had to work so hard at our relationship. Yeah. It was like lust at first sight, but it was not love at first mm-hmm. sight. Like we cared about each other. We were friends in high school, but we like had to sit down and like decide to take our relationship to the next level that we were going to be in it we were going to be committed we were going to love and trust each other and 
it was so great that we were able to have that open and honest conversation. And from then on, there's like really nothing that can phase us. Like, yeah, we have our arguments and stuff, but we're, we're pretty solid. Yeah. So you said she's a lesbian and I don't want to ask you a lot about her story because that's her story. Um, but has she ever been with men? Yes. Okay. And is that something that the two of you ever talk about? Like, is it something that you have interest in exploring together or is it just the two of you? Like, are you committed to a monogamous pair bond? Um, we have always talked about if we would want to add a third or try that or like we would, but we can't agree. I would want to add a third person in it, be a man. She mm. would want to add a third person in it, be a woman. Interesting. She like slept with two guys and was like, nope, this is not for <laughs> me. Um, and she has no interest in looking back. I'm like, I could go either way, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I, I would be interested if the two of you ever decide to pursue that, how it goes. I think right now we're just really focused on us and yeah. it's not a no, it's just mm-hmm. a not right now. Yeah. And I think it's probably a question I wouldn't normally ask, but it does seem like you still have some curiosity and some investigation energy in you. So, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And I'm, it's not like I hide that. She, she knows, like she wouldn't listen to this and be shocked, but um, (laughs) she knows that. And she knows that I, I have a very, very high sex drive um, as we're like, she does not when she does, it's high when she doesn't, Mm -hmm. it's not. So. Mm -hmm. And is that okay with you? Is that satisfying to you? Yeah. Because like when we like are connected and we both are like in agreement, like, we have a lot of sex, but she also gives me the space to be like, Hey, you do what you need to do. Mm -hmm. So you're still getting your needs fulfilled, even if she's in a drier spell. Yes. Yeah. Oh, good. Good. How do you feel about your body? This has been like a lifelong, I'm sure it will be a lifelong thing. Um, When I was in elementary school, I had a lot of predominantly white friends that were like the stereotypical, like, you know, what you see as like beautiful, and I'm saying mm-hmm. that in quotation marks, and I know everyone can't see me, in the fashion industry, like skinny, white, blonde, stick straight hair. And I yeah. I did not look like that. I was bigger. I was round. I had round glasses. I had a bowl cut. <laughs> um, actually, no, what's it called? A stacked bob, not a bowl cut. So <laughs> just, you know, did not look like all of my other friends. And then I got to middle school and I had my first friend who was black and she was like, dang, you're thick. And the first time she said that to me, I was mortified. I was like, she's calling me fat. This is the worst. I I need to go hide. But she was like, no, it's a good thing. And you're white. You're a white girl with hips. And from then on, I was like, wow, I've just been hanging out with the wrong people. (laughs) (laughs) And in part, of I think the reason why I'm attracted to predominantly like men and women of colors because when I was in middle school like the boys who were of color like specifically black boys who played basketball because I played basketball they thought I was attractive like they Mm -hmm. thought I was cool they 
were so shocked that I had hips and curves at 12. And that felt good. I was like, yeah, I am cute. Um, <laughs> and then it, it stuck. It wasn't just because I got validation from there. But, but I've always fluctuated with like, okay, yeah, I'm curvy. But am I, okay, if I keep my hourglass figure, I'm cute. But if I gain more weight and my hourglass goes away, then I'm not cute. And mm-hmm. that's when it became unhealthy again. Like it, it wasn't like, I love my body for my body. It was like, I only love my body if it looks a certain way with curves. And yeah. I know that I reached out to you on Instagram because you posted something about like plus size culture and how it's not really mm-hmm. indicative of all plus size women. It's a very particular plus size body that gets venerated. Yeah. Yes. So a long way of answering your question is on a deep down level, I spent so long not loving my body that I don't want to do anything but love it. But I definitely get into ruts of I don't like the way I look in my clothes and I've gained weight and the pan, like the birth control, the freshman weight, the pandemic weight are all mm-hmm. very real things. And <laughs> um, I've been the heaviest I've ever been. And sometimes I need to like look at my partner and be like, hey, like, do you like the way I look? Like, am I attractive? And she always says yes. And sometimes I'm like, no, you're just saying that. And she's like, no, like, I love you. And she'll start saying like specific things that she loves. And she's also someone who identifies as bigger or curvy. And Mm -hmm. I love her. And I think she's beautiful. And it's like, how do I say the same things about her, but not accept the same things she says to me? So. Yeah, something, and this will not work for everyone, but something that has been really helpful for me with my partner, because I struggle with body image a lot, is that at one point when we had that conversation, he's like, I love you, you're beautiful. And I'm like, you're lying. <laughs> you just want to get in my pants. And um, he showed me the pictures and literally the porn that he watches, the bodies of the women look just like mine. And that was when I was able to start believing him that he actually loves my body, because it's not just that my body happens to be attached to the mind and personality he likes. And so he's putting up with it. No, this is the body he actually enjoys. Mm -hmm. Friends, if you love these conversations, I would love your help to keep them going. There are three ways you can participate. Two are free, and one is for listeners who've got a few extra dollars each month. Number one, take a screenshot of this episode right now and post it to your Instagram stories. Tag me in your post, and if it's public, I'll reshare and send you a personal thank you. Word of mouth is the best way to build buzz for an independent show like Good Girls Talk About Sex. And the more people listening, the healthier our collective sexual experiences will become. Number two, don't want the whole world to know you're listening to a show about sex? I get it. Perhaps you heard something in this episode that reminds you of a past conversation with a friend or something you wish your partner knew. Send them a link to this episode and a quick message about why you think they should listen. And number three, If you have the resources to support the sex-positive work I do, I'd be grateful for your support at Patreon. 
Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's absolutely no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. Plus, I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are currently being legislated out of existence. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And one more thing, there is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free to everyone. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access them. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you. Whether you're a client, a patron, a social media follower, or a silent listener, I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. What questions or concerns do you have about sex or your sex life? I don't, I, so we're both um, in the same profession. Our jobs are stressful and they're hard and we spend all day worrying about other humans and it's, it's hard to like muster up the energy to have sex sometimes or like to have connection. And we go through periods of time where we come home and we just zone out because our day was incredibly hard. Um, And it's like, we need to start finding little ways to connect. Like we try to like, eat dinner once a week without the TV and put limits on our phone. But like, to me, sex and intimacy are different and we need to find more ways to be intimate that don't require like a ton of time and energy. And I know that you talk a lot about that, but I was just like, that's one concern I have. And like, I'm always looking for advice and feedback and (laughs) all those kinds of things. Well, I'm glad that you recognize how difficult things are, especially right now. And in your caring profession, this is even 10 times harder. So first of all, I would not want you to put more stress on yourself in order to create this whole new or other thing that you have to put energy into. If like, do the two of you cuddle when you're watching TV? Mm-hmm. And do you have your clothes on or off when you cuddle? On. So you might want to experiment some with cuddling with your shirts off or cuddling with, you know, nude, um, because that skin to skin contact can be really helpful to regulating each of your nervous systems and helping you to feel really connected. So it's not necessarily about adding new activities into your world, but taking the activities that you're already doing and finding ways to help them keep you more connected. I would not want you to shame yourself for watching TV and being like, oh, we should watch less TV. For some of us, TV is a godsend. 
I don't know if I would have made it through these last couple of years without TV. And thank God my partner enjoys watching too. And so we spend a huge amount of our time just watching TV and cuddling, mostly nude, because that's really, that is incredibly helpful to me to have that skin to skin contact. I love that. This is why I love your podcast (laughs) and you, because I do put so much stress on myself. I'm like, we should be watching less TV. We should be having more connection time where we're just staring at each other. But like, (laughs) sometimes that's just not, not the reality. Like I'm de-escalating another human some days and I can't come home and put any more energy into anything else I do for that day. Yes. And we just have to, I mean, one of the things that makes me most, ah, (laughs) irritated in the world is when people are unwilling to recognize the reality of a situation. The reality is you are stressed out, you don't have a ton of energy. So putting more stress and requirements for more energy output on you is unreasonable. Mm -hmm. So let's find ways that will work for you within the limits and confines that you've got. All right, cool. And now it's time for the lowdown, the things we're dying to know, but would usually be too polite to ask any good girl. Do you have sex during your period? Sometimes. What's the difference? Or what allows you to sometimes? Um, I think I'm more comfortable with it than my partner is. But if we have access to like other sex toys, like a strap or something like that, I think are more willing when it's not like our own body parts. Mm -hmm. So having two people with periods in the same relationship can be a challenge. Do do your cycles sync up or are you, do you have two separate weeks each month? For the first time in six years, we just synced up and it was awful. So I always... I always thought that that's what I wanted. But after last week, I was like, no, I do not want that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You mentioned straps. Do you, the two of you use strap-ons? Yes. Um, Sometimes, I mean, I think we really enjoy just like connection between each other. But sometimes you just like need a little extra. And we also enjoy that like extra thing that we get from that. Do you have one strap on that both of you use, or do you have two separate straps? We just have one. And up until like a year ago, I was predominantly the only one who received, but I just like, not like kept pushing in a like disrespectful way, but I was like, just try it, just try it, just try it. And finally, she let me, and she was like, actually, this is not as bad as I thought it was going to be. And I was like, see. Did she think it was going to have too much of the uh, like overlay of heterosexual sex for her? Yeah, I think that's what she's like terrified of because she's like, I did not like that. I don't want that. That's not me. And in fact, heterosexual sex is a completely different thing. Penetration for the sake of penetration can happen with anybody. Yes. Yeah. Uh, What's the approximate number of sex partners you've had? 10 plus. Have you ever had sex with someone with a different racial identity than your own? (laughs) Yes. um, Actually, predominantly. Yeah. (laughs) What's your favorite sex toy? 
vibrators that have both like in like the inside penetration and like the clit stimulation. I don't know if there's mm-hmm. like a specific term for that. Uh, sometimes they're called rabbits, but um, there are lots of different versions of that. So internal and external stimulation. Yeah. What's your favorite sex position? I, I don't know. Um, I, I like anything that like really allows for the other person to like go deep. Um, so like, like maybe like doggy style or like sitting on my partner, like while they're seated in a chair, anything like that. Yeah. When you say when you, it allows your partner to go deep and there are going to be people who hear this and think, but neither of them has a penis. What does that mean? Yeah. So with, with the strap. So like when she's wearing it and I'm receiving. Mm -hmm. Do you use the strap most times that you have sex? No, we actually don't. I would say like, we probably, okay. Like when we're both not stressed out, probably like two to three times a week when we're stressed out, it's probably like once a week. And I would say if we're going with a lower number, we'd probably use it one out of four times. Uh Was that 25%? (laughs) (laughs) Good job. (laughs) Do you prefer to initiate or for your partner to initiate? I am a control freak that loves (laughs) when other people initiate. So that's a very hard question. (laughs) I get it. (laughs) Are you generally more active or more passive during lovemaking? Active, even though my partner would love if I was more passive. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. She would like want to be in control. And I'm like, I can't let go of control. <laughs> Do you ever play with things like restraints? Yes. And does she enjoy having you restrained? Oh, yeah. It's her favorite <laughs> thing. <laughs> and what do you feel about it? I like it because it. Um, I'm very much like a tactile I need all my senses and like when one's taken away I feel like another one gets heightened Mm. and I love it Mm -hmm. do you prefer clit stimulation or penetration clit stimulation do you enjoy g-spot stimulation yes um so I I don't yes I'm gonna go with yes (laughs) do you know where your g-spot is yeah like it's like you know when you do that like come here motion. Is that what people say? Like with your fingers? (laughs) Yeah. The reason I ask is because it seemed like you weren't sure if you liked it. So I was wondering if you were like trying to convince yourself that maybe you did. I I do like with fingers. I don't know that we've, or I didn't realize it was being hit with the strap. I don't know. But if it's too intense, then I don't like it. And that's why Mm. I would say like with fingers and not like with a vibrator or something like that. Gotcha. Do you enjoy having your breasts played with? Yes, I do. Do you think it's generally easy or challenging for you to orgasm? It's it's hard. It's hard. I am a human that works with other humans who are constantly on my mind and mm. I have a really hard time getting anything out of my head. And so it could yeah. be like the best sex in the world, but I'm like, is that person okay? Are they did I do enough? <laughs> yeah. So Yeah, I get that. Have you ever faked an orgasm? I have faked intensity of one. Mm-hmm. Um, so like pretended like it was this big thing when it was kind of just like, eh, it happened. <laughs> Got it. Do you prefer the orgasm from masturbation or from sex with another person? 
I, I, I shouldn't apologize for explaining. I like the, the orgasm with like the intensity with um, masturbation, but I like the like build up with another person. Hmm, okay. What's your favorite thing to do to a partner during sex play? Um, I like getting on top of my partner and like pinning her down while kissing her. What kind of touch do you enjoy receiving the most? Like, like hard. I like to be like, like pinned up against walls and like, not like thrown around, but like, you know, I like more aggressive movements. What are your hard red lines? Um, like the stereotypical, like no blood, no bodily fluids, that kind of thing. But also like anal. Yeah. Okay. How do you feel about porn? I don't, I don't hate it. Um, I, I used to watch it more, but now I prefer watch to watch sex scenes in movies over porn. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you know why? I, if this like, not that I can relate to people in movies, but I, I feel like I can relate to people in movies more than I can relate to people in porn videos. Yeah. I also enjoy sex scenes in movies more than I enjoy porn. And I think it's because in porn, it's just like, you show up, you show up, bang. Mm-hmm. Whereas in a movie, I can really get into the connection between the characters. Yes. And I was listening to an episode where you talked about porn and then you're like you should pay for your porn and you linked it at the bottom of an episode and I tried to go back and I tried to find that but I couldn't and so I was wondering if like maybe you could send that to me personally or like link that somewhere else because I've been trying to find that link for forever (laughs) (laughs) yes there are a number of people who make quote-unquote feminist or ethical porn where they pay their performers as they should, where there's no coercion, where people are taken care of. Um, And yeah, I will definitely put those links into the show notes, I will send them to you. And also, if you're interested in listening to stories, Dipsy is a really great audio erotica. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll send you all that information. Awesome. What's your ideal frequency of sex? At least once a week, um, probably like if I'm just not stressed and have all the free time in the world, like three times a week. Yeah. Do you have hair down there or are you bare? I was really thinking about how I was going to answer this question because I was like, <laughs> I don't want anybody to judge me. I prefer not to shave. I hate shaving. I don't want it. But I also have a partner who prefers when I do shave and she's never been like you have to shave or we're not having sex but she's like that is a preference I have and it's not like I won't I just want you to know that we can both enjoy it more when you do Mm -hmm. and so I usually shave and do you enjoy it more when you are shaved um I I worry less which is nice and I also do think that like the intensity at which things happen from her. Yes. Is nice. <laughs> mm, interesting. Yeah. I I think that there are compromises that you make. And if that's one of the ones you've decided to make, there's no shame in that at all. 
yeah, I used to think that it was like, if I shaved and I wasn't a feminist and I wasn't standing up for myself, but mm-hmm. like in reality, like we're partners, like we have yeah. to make decisions together. And if I didn't shave, she literally wouldn't care. It is just a preference that she has and something that I want to do now. I can say I always wanted to because I care about how we both, if we both enjoy what we're doing. Yeah. Um, have you ever had a threesome or more? No. Do you enjoy giving oral sex? I do. Do you enjoy receiving oral sex? I enjoy that more. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Do you ever worry about your smell or taste? Um, I used to more with males than with my current partner. I just am self-conscious about down there in general. Yeah. How do you feel about ass play? No. no. <laughs> Never done it. Yeah. What do you consider the quote unquote kinkiest thing you enjoy, given that we all have a completely different scale for what's kinky? I like to be tied up and I like to be choked, but like sometimes I'm like, I can't breathe. You got to readjust. So. <laughs> and do you have a, a signal? I'll just like move her hand or it's like never to the, it's like not super intense. It's just like Mm -hmm. kind of more of like a grab than a choke. And do you have a safety protocol in place where something to go sideways? No, (laughs) we do. Okay. (laughs) So let me get up on this particular uh, soapbox one more time. (laughs) Choking. If you enjoy it, I'm not going to tell you not to do it, but you do need to know that it is the most high risk activity outside of rope play. Um, They are the two highest uh, high risk activities. And when it goes wrong, it goes wrong very, very fast. And there's not time to make a plan or figure things out. So the two of you need to have a conversation And yes, I am putting it in terms of you need to, (laughs) because this is important. You need to have a conversation about how you're going to handle it if something goes sideways, whether that's calling 911, whether it's, you know, having smelling salts, whatever it is, you need to have that conversation. And ideally, you like write it down on a sticky or an index card and you put it beside the bed. So that if you get into an emergency situation, the person who's still conscious doesn't have to try to remember. They can just look at the card and do the thing. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. All right. (laughs) Lecture over. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I, I get concerned, not about the activity itself, but the fact that it has become so common that people think they don't need to have safety protocols. When in fact, it's really important. Yeah. I, that's why I say, like, I don't think we, it's not like it's super intense when we do it. Like, it's never mm-hmm. for like a super long period of time. Um, like, we've never even been close to like needing a safety yeah. procedure. But if it ever did get past the point where we do now, then. Yeah. And the thing is, you never know, like, what works today could for whatever reason, go catastrophically wrong tomorrow. Because bodies are weird. 
you know? They are, yeah. Yeah. So just be safe on the front end. Okay. Do you enjoy dirty talk during sexual encounters? Yes, I do. And so does my partner, but I never know what to say. And so then sometimes we just laugh, which is like, we love laughing during sex. We think that means that we're, you know, connecting and having a good time, but... (laughs) Yeah. Uh, this is a great place for erotica, for listening to Dipsy stories, for reading erotica online so that you can get a sense of what the words are you might want to say. You're not starting from a blank page. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Have you ever felt a sexual urge that confused you? Uh, yeah. The first time I, um, liked a woman, like the first time I wanted to like hook up with my partner, my current partner. Yeah. What's your favorite part of your body? I love my hips. I love that. I think you may be the first person who's ever said that. I, yeah, I spent so long hating them and now I just realize they do so much for me and I love them. Awesome. What's your least favorite part of your body? My stomach. You are not the first person who said that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What is something about your current sex life that isn't quite as satisfying as you'd like it to be? Um, I just think a lot of times like my partner feels self-conscious and I wish that like, I'm a very confident person. (laughs) Um, and I just wish I could like give her some of my confidence. And I just, I think if we both were just super confident and like, like, I know we feel comfortable with each other, but we're like, we're 200% comfortable with each other, then we could have some very amazing sex. (laughs) What belief did you have about sex as a child or teenager that you wish you could go back and correct her on now? Uh, That women can have sexual desires and that just because you enjoy having sex doesn't mean that you're a slut or insert any term that's ever been said about women who say they enjoy having sex. And you're not going to hell. (laughs) Yeah, that too. (laughs) Yeah. Mia, this has been so wonderful. Thank you for having this conversation with me. Yeah, Thank you so much for having me on. I am just so ecstatic that you said, yes, let's do it. That's it for today. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As a sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. If you have questions or comments about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Full show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. And you can follow me at goodgirlstalk on the socials for more sex positive content. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or 
If you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash good girls. While listening to this show is free, producing it is not. If my work is meaningful to you, and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I'll gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Until next time, here's to your better sex life. <laughs>